Keeping that in mind and that being a part of what we are trying to do always is uh, life not being about us and the way we think, not revolving around us all the time, trying to learn more about, um, about God and who He is and who we are because of Him. And I brought back um, my old friends, the, uh, the boxes last week, and um, so we're going to keep using this. I know you guys, some of you have seen it several times, and some of you have seen it once. Uh, doesn't really matter. Um, all right, who took the sin golf ball? Oh, no, there it is. Okay. I'm sorry, I should have been prepared. Uh, so, um, Louis Giglio is this uh, speaker with the Passion Movement, and he's uh, going to be a pastor soon and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he did this, this deal that um, I've never seen him do. I've only heard it on the CDs and stuff. And, and he um, would kind of explain about uh, Jesus living in us, Christ in us, and all that kind of stuff using these boxes. And so I, um, I try to always remember to give him credit for it, uh, for the concept, even though I bet he'd still have some I too. Um, and so I kind of have taken what he's done and kind of uh, redone it a little bit or whatever. And so um, just as a refresher, okay, um, we're going to kind of run through it real quick, and then what we're doing is we're, we're kind of building a foundation upon which we're going to begin to look at how, um, our, how Christ in us and, and our new identity in Him um, impacts everyday life. I think a lot of times there's a, there's a disconnect between what we know to be true and between what we feel or think or how we approach life and all that kind of stuff, and so we're trying to... Um, um, connect more and more um, biblical truth, God truth, with um, the reality of our lives, all right? So last week we were in, in Colossians chapter 1, and um, we looked at a couple of verses, but the, the, the basic idea is, is this. Uh, it says in um, Colossians 1, um, verse, where'd it go? Uh, verse 13, this is what we looked at last week, it says, He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So He's rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of Christ. And what Paul goes on to explain is that for, like, for so long, um, ages and ages, there was this mystery of, of how is God going to reunite uh, with His people. And, um, and so He promised this Messiah was coming and all that kind of stuff. And so everybody was really amped about Messiah coming to deliver them, and, and they all thought it was going to be uh, some sort of a political or military leader or whatever, and, and there was just this, this mystery about how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen and what's, you know, whatever, and what God actually did is just so far beyond anything we can, we can grasp. I mean, who would have ever thought he would do it in this way and, and all that, that kind of stuff, but also, it's not only mysterious because for so long nobody knew how, how it was going to happen, but it's still mysterious in that we don't really fully understand how he even did it. I mean, he explained, he explains it to us through Scripture, and we spend a lot of time talking about it and, and praying about it, and, and he reveals little things, and we learn from each other. But the bottom line is, uh, until we are in heaven one day, it, this is not going to 100% make sense to everybody all the time. 
So we all have to kind of be comfortable with, with the fact that it's still a mystery. Even though he's told us uh, a lot of the, like, the questions we have, we're just going to have questions, and that's a part of it. And so here's, here's uh, basically what happened. We have a sin box and a sin golf ball, and then, um, and then here's you, all right? Here's you and here's me. And uh, as, uh, basically it, sa- it says that he rescued us from the domain of darkness. So here's what the domain of darkness looked like. Um, sin entered into the world in the Garden of Eden. And then everybody had kids, and then you were born. That's my, there you go. Who needs a history class, right? Um, just come to church. And so, uh, but basically, um, when sin entered into the world, and Adam and Eve um, were then separated from God, they passed that on to their kids and all the way down. And so, we were all born um, separated from God because of their sin. And so, we were born with sin in, inside of us. Um, and... Uh, that's uncomfortable to a lot of people and all that kind of stuff, but that is, I mean, that's the situation. You look around the world, and it's pretty obvious that something went wrong at some point, you know. Um, there are a lot of things that don't make sense, and the reason they don't make sense is because of uh, this. This is the problem. And um, not only that, so uh, there's sin in all of us, and then there's this world, and there's, um, you know, uh, there's like the devil and all that kind of stuff, and then there's the fact that the earth was, the ground itself was cursed, and and so, you know, we have hurricanes and stuff like that. And there's just, there's all this bad stuff all, all around us. And so, basically, um, we're, there's a problem on the inside of us. And there's problems all around the outside of us. And this is the domain of darkness, basically. Um, doesn't look very harmful, but uh, it's, it's a bad deal. And um, there's not, not a thing we could do to, to change this in our own strength. And try as we might, and people come up with all kind of uh, ways through religion and through good works and through all this kind of stuff. Um, no matter how hard you try or how good you are, how sincere you really believe that you know this crystal that you're putting all your faith in is going to enlighten you somehow, it's not going to change the fact that you are there. It, you might feel better temporarily. You might um, find a drug that lets you get high and you pretend like you're not in the domain of darkness, but you are. And that's why when you come down, you realize it and you just get high again. That's the problem. Nothing you can do in your own attempts is going to change this. And until this is changed, um, you're, people are going to keep looking for solutions because we're all created with this, um, this sense of, of there, there's something wrong and there's something right that we're trying to get to. And so um, here's God right here. Uh, he's obviously the big box right here. And so um, he created the world and he came up with a solution. And so his solution was uh, to send a Messiah, a Redeemer, this one who was going to come. And rather than being a military leader and all this kind of stuff, he came, he was a servant, he was a teacher, he was all these things. Um, He lived a sinless life. Uh, He died on the cross. His blood um, atones for our sin and all this kind of stuff. We're going to get to this stuff later, so I'm kind of jumping through it so we can get to the good good part. Um, And so uh, what happens is when um, Jesus died, rose again, is in heaven, all that kind of stuff. So then here we are, domain of darkness. Basically, the, the, the good news of the gospel and the thing that, that we live for and cherish so much is this, is that through what Jesus did, totally of, our, of no effort at all, we can, um, this can be changed. That you are not stuck. And by, by repenting of the fact that like, uh, this, you know, this is not where we need to be, we need to turn from this, and placing our faith in what Jesus did, then this is what happens. We're rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred 
into the kingdom of Christ. So uh, he takes us out of this, okay? And he takes this uh, sin golf ball out of us. And what it says is, is the mystery that has been, was kept hidden for so long and has now been revealed to the saints is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That our only hope is to have Christ in us, because as long as sin is in us, we got a problem. Well, Christ in us, that is where all hope comes from. So Jesus, not a golf ball, but a little uh, Rubbermaid stain shield, uh, whatever that is, uh, that's, uh, that's Christ right there. And so Christ in you, literally the hope of glory. The, the thing that's so amazing is that um, Jesus didn't just come and, and lead out, and he wasn't this figure that was out front. Um, God has made a way for him to literally be inside of us somehow. And I think that it always just blows me away. Like, of all the things God could have done, God always just, like, he just always does things in this, like, crazy way. Why in the world would he do it that way? I don't know. But the fact that God was like, you know what, here's what I'm going to do. Instead of, uh, well, instead of all the other things I could do, I'm just going to put my spirit in everybody. How's that sound? Oh, wait, I'm God. I can do whatever I want. So he did it. And so that's, that, is the, that is the plan. Christ in you and in me, the hope of glory. And so this indwelling of Christ um, completely changes everything. And so our lives now are about the indwelling Christ changing us from the inside out and the indwelling of Christ spilling out into our everyday lives. And so not only is it, but is, not only is it Christ in you, hope of glory, but Scripture also talks about us being in Christ. For whoever is in Christ is a, a new creation. And so um, there's another uh, Christ box right here. Um, so not only is Christ in us, but we are also in Christ. Well, that just sweetens the deal a lot. Right? I mean, it just keeps getting better. And so there's, there's you in Christ, and then Christ in you in Christ. And, and it says... The Bible also says that we are hidden with Christ inside of God, like literally inside of Him. And so uh, the next step is you put this into here. Scripture also talks about being sealed by the Holy Spirit. So there's a nice lid that goes on there with a little snap action right there that makes sure that no freshness gets out. And so here we have, um, oh, and the, oh, yeah, and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, seals all this and keeps it so, so that nothing can mess with it, you know. So, um, your worst day where you like mess up and everything's bad, whatever, like you can't change this. You'd have to become more powerful than God to change this, and you're not. And so, um, so Christ in you, the hope of glory, and being in Christ, and being hidden with Christ in God, and that being sealed and protected uh, and kept by the Holy Spirit, um, this is uh, what we are talking about when we talk about our identity in Christ. That's a uh, you know, a phrase that we kind of toss around a lot. And we talk about being in Christ and having a relationship with Christ and asking Jesus into your heart and all these things that we talk about. This is kind of a visual re representation of what Scripture teaches us happens. That literally inside and outside um, of us all the way, uh, all the time, everywhere we go, constantly, this is who we are. Now, we live in a world that... Um, that doesn't teach us this, you know. We live in a world, and, um, and especially in a culture in the United States and in the South, 
that teaches some very, very different ideas. Um, we are, are, you know, definitely a consumer culture. We're also like a, we're a performance-based culture where we are, are always um, trying to like earn people's acceptance, you know, their approval, their love, you know, whatever. We want people to think that we're cool and that we're funny and that we're smart and that um, we never, you know, are caught off guard and that we always know what to say and that we always have it together. And so um, from a very young age, we spend a lot of time trying to control what other people think about us. Because for some reason in our minds, what other people think about us is like the determining factor in our identity, you know? Um, is, it, it, and so if that, that means that if I have to change the way I talk and change the way I dress, I'm going to do it because I want people to think that I am a certain way. Um, I was thinking about uh, one of the, like, I, I, think, I think that somebody needs to write, like, do their dissertation on Facebook because I think there are so many fascinating things about Facebook that are just changing, our, that they're changing our culture, I think, in, in some ways, like, especially like with the young generation, I think they're changing it, but they also reveal a lot of things about, uh, about us too. Anyway, shouldn't have even said all that. Anyway, um, one of the things about Facebook that's weird is that you, know, you start getting friend requests from people you haven't seen in like 20 years. I mean, some of y'all are only 20, so that wouldn't make sense. But for me, um, I'm, getting like, I'm getting like sixth grade friend like people I haven't seen since sixth grade or talked to at all, which means that like they either saw me on somebody else's page or they're just sitting there putting in names, people they remember. You've all done it, let's face it. Um, and, so, um, and so recently I've had a few that were from middle school and it made me just think about how much I absolutely hated middle school. Um, one of the things about my school was that there was, uh, like, there was just all these like subcultures or whatever, and I'm sure like yours are the same way and they're probably just like this today too, but um, we, uh, I went to a middle magnet school, and so there was like the, uh, there were like the, basically all that means is that there were like GT kids, and there were magnet school kids all in one school. And so right there, you had this big divide, you know, and it's like, oh, you're GT, you know, like, oh, you're magnet, whatever, and like the two didn't mix very well or whatever, and, and, uh, and, and, so, and so that was kind of weird. And then like within each of those, you had all these different groups, and I mean, there were like skaters, and these guys had like vicious like bowl haircuts. You know, where it was like two inches out all the way around. This one guy, uh, Jake went to middle school with me. I won't say his name, but he'll, he'll know it. Uh, this guy had this wicked bowl haircut that came around like this, but his bangs hang like, they were like past his chin and like came up. And he was like constantly doing one of these, you know, all the time. And, um, and so he was like a skater. And so all his friends, like they all, like very few of them could actually skate, but they all, they wore the skate skateboard clothes and they read the magazines and they had like they would draw like vision streetwear tattoos on their arm and stuff and whatever and you had there was like a big heavy metal culture back then and so they were all about like GNR you know and they were like all into like anything you know anything Metallica whatever uh, some dude would show up and he'd have a slash hat you know whatever and he'd get taken because you can't have hats at school but he was like the, the awesome dude whose mom got him a slash hat for his birthday and uh, some of y'all are like GNR slash it's okay. Um, some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about because you're like, I had that hat. Uh, and so there's like the like the like headbangers or whatever, and they're like kind of like the let's face it, the nerds. Um, but 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 like they were uh, like they weren't even like nerds by like definition. Like these are the people who work for NASA today. Like uh, they were smart, smart, smart even back then. And they like they did not care. They didn't want to be a skater. 
They don't want to be anything. They're like, I want to fly rockets. And so that's what I'm going to do. And they knew that from the sixth grade. And that was, and that was fine. Um, and there were, uh, at my school, there, there, were, there were preps, what they were called. And uh, the preps would always have, um, you know, it was all, always wearing polo stuff or like, uh, let's see, how can I like, age myself? Uh, Cavaricis were pretty, pretty hip. Uh, the AC Slater uh, <laughs> Deluxe uh, Cavaricis. Um, they were always dressed. Girls wore like Benetton stuff, you know, whatever. And so, uh, and I, I say all that to say this. At that time, um, there were all these people I went to school with who worked really, really hard because they wanted to fit into one of those groups. And they would change the way that they, that they talked and the way that they dressed and stuff they were interested in. And they would pretend to be interested in stuff they weren't. They pretend that they could skateboard when they would just fall on the ground, you know, in like two seconds. They would, would work really, really hard because they wanted people to think a certain way about them. And it was funny, it's funny to look back on it then, but, but we do all that stuff now, you know? I mean, that's so much a part of, of how we're programmed is that we're so performance-driven and we work really, really hard to keep our reputations a certain way and all that kind of stuff. And so the, something, and, and that's all like, that's, that's all fine and whatever, but here's, here's what's really weird is that when, when our identity and, and how, we, um, how we view ourselves, how we, you know, how we, um, when you think about who you are, when that is determined by what people think about you, there's, there's a big problem. And all of us struggle with that, you know. If you don't think you struggle with it, when, think about the last time that um, something went wrong and you lost the ability to control what people thought about you for a second, you know. You're always the athlete, okay, and then you shoot an air ball in front of like all these people and they're like, thought you lettered in high school, you know? And you're like, oh, there goes my identity, you know? You're the, you're the king of guitar hero, you know? And somebody out free bird you one day uh, or something like that. And you're like, dude, what happened? You know, whatever. And you're like, I don't know, I don't know. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I'm not, the, I'm not the best. People think that you're funny and you're like the funny guy. And all of a sudden you have one of those nights where you just, you know, make people laugh. Then it, but then it, it gets deeper, right? People, people think that you are really spiritual, and you just kind of lose it one day. And people give you that look like, never would have thought you would say that. And the examples could go on and on and on. And here's the thing um, about our, our identity. Our identity can be determined by nothing other than what God says about us. Nothing. It doesn't matter if people think you're cool or funny or whatever. It doesn't matter if your parents are approving of you or not. None of that, none of that stuff matters. This is, is what matters. Now, in Colossians, um, there, there are some verses that are a little bit troubling because we start talking about that, and you're like, no, I can, I can do that. I can, I can say, uh, I can look at myself and say, no, that's who I am. You know, I don't care what my friends say or other people say or whatever. That's, that's my identity, and you can say that, but sometimes when push comes to shove, it's not that easy to live out. Look in Colossians, again, chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, all right, so there's the domain of darkness again, 
He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. All right, so there's Jesus. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now in verse 23, it says, if, and don't get hung up on that if, that's not a conditional, like, that's not saying you'll be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before God if you don't, you know, screw up anymore or whatever, all right? This is, this is saying, like, those, those who are really saved are going to endure, you're going to make it all the way, you know? Saying when this has happened to you, you're going to hang in there. You're going to, you're not going to shift. You're going to be stable and steadfast. Um, and you're going to stay centered on the hope of the gospel that you've heard. That's a part of being a part of, of a, a community like this, of a church like this. So that you come here and you're pointed back to the gospel. And you go to community group and you're pointed back to the gospel. And you're with your friends and you're having a tough time or you're having a great time. And through your relationship, you're pointed back to the gospel. Always, always, always pointing back to this. Now, the troubling part comes in verse 22, because we look and we see uh, that he's done all this in order to present you holy, blameless, above reproach. Um, The NIV says it this way. It says, to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. Now, you read that, and you're like, okay, um, have you seen my life? <laughs> have, you, uh, have, you, have you seen the way that I live? Like, how can I be presented holy and blameless and above reproach without blemish, free from accusation? How can, how can that describe me? Because you look at this and you're like, okay, that's an ideal, but I don't look at my life and see that being consistent. I know in, the, in our community groups, we've been looking at Psalm 139 about, about God knowing, knowing our thoughts and about God being present all the time. And in the guys' group this past week, the topic was about secrecy, you know, and how like there are, I mean, God's with you all the time. There are no secrets, you know, ever. And, and so we've been talking about all that. And so like there's like another level of discomfort where you're like, okay, um, if like the way I live my life, all right, I don't see holy, blameless, or above reproach without blemish, free from accusation. All right, but let's say that our lives are kind of look like that. You creep into our thoughts. Heck no. There's no way that our thought lives, our thought patterns and stuff, can be considered that way. And so you kind of see that. Okay, um, there's the ideal, and then over here somewhere else is reality. And I think that's one of the troubling things we have with our identity is that we really struggle with, with living that out and seeing how that shows up in, in everyday life. The starting point for that is to be able to read this text and to be able to say, in spite of how I feel and what I think, this is what God says about me. And this is not just something that's going to happen one day when I get to heaven and I stand before the Bema seat of judgment. This is a reality for us now. And so I want to give you, I want to give you three, three 
um, three ways that, uh, or one way for each of these three things that kind of addresses this a little bit because I think it's really, really important that we don't just take this, this as being like, okay, no, that's awesome. That's this ideal that's out there somewhere else. It needs to be truth that continues to change the way we think and that we live. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to send you uh, to three different places in the Bible, and I'm going to go to three other places in the Bible, and then we'll meet. All right, cool. Okay. Um, you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, I'll see you there in a minute. The first thing in that list, it says that we're presented as holy. And I don't know that many of us would, would be like, all right, hey, if you're holy tonight, why don't you stand up? I don't know, we had a lot of people standing. Um, here's the thing. Um, holiness, we're presented as holy because we've been clothed. All right? You're in 2 Corinthians. I'm in Isaiah 61. Let me read this to you. It'll be on the screen too. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For He has clothed me with garments of salvation. And he has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with the beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with jewels. Alright, ever been to a wedding? People never look better than they do on their wedding day, right? And what he's saying is, um, God has adorned us with righteousness like a bride and a groom getting all dolled up on their wedding day. Being robed in righteousness, what does that mean? All right, you're in 2 Corinthians 5. All right, look at verse 20. It says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. All right, so that's Jesus, the sinless one. Sin poured onto Him as a sacrifice. So that in Him, we might become the righteousness of God. So that in Him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. All right, now I've been trying to to figure this out, and I just want to pass on my best understanding of what this, what this means, okay? Um, we have been clothed in righteousness, all right? Now, righteousness uh, to many of us means like this like uprightness, you know, that um, it's, it's like living right, you know, living right by the Lord and all that kind of stuff. And biblically, righteousness has like a different connection. And I've been reading a lot of stuff that is written on a level that I'm not ever going to attain. And so I have tried to um, break it down into something that I can best understand. And, and here, here's, here's my best stab at it as far as righteousness goes, biblically. Um, we see the righteousness of God in the way that he is faithful to his covenant and, and his relationship with his people. All right? Um, so, for example, Old Testament, um, the, the, the Exodus. Israel, they are uh, in slavery for hundreds of years, and Moses uh, comes to lead the people out, and God um, um, basically, you know, 
the plagues, uh, all that kind of stuff, Red Sea, parting, whatever. These are to the promised land, which was promised to Abraham. That whole, that whole deal of bringing people from, uh, bringing Israel from the promise made to Abraham as an old man that he didn't have any kids, all the way to like them in, uh, being established in the land and as a kingdom, all that stuff, we see the righteousness of God in being faithful to, um, to the promises that he made. Does that make sense? That's, that's his righteousness. It's him saying, this is what I'm going to do, and he goes and he does it. That is how we experience his righteousness. So as he is faithful to the promises and the covenants that he has made, he is righteous. And so what this verse is saying that is that in Christ, we become the righteousness of God. Literally, in Christ, we become like the Exodus. If that's a great Old Testament example of the righteousness of God, of God saying, this is what I'm going to do, and Him being faithful to do it, we become the righteousness of God, and Him saying, this is what I'm going to do, and look, look at me, and look how amazing I am. We are robed in this righteousness. We are covered in this righteousness. And so literally, we are draped. We are dressed up like on a wedding day as the proof that God is faithful. Does that make sense? We become that. So in a world, in the, in the like, domain of darkness, we become the righteousness of God. We become the evidence, the proof, the show-off points, the trophies that he parades through the streets and to Walmart and through the LSU campus and uh, into this place every week and then scatters out everywhere. We are the righteousness. We have become the righteousness of God that is going everywhere saying, look at the goodness of God. Look at the faithfulness of God. Look at how amazing God is. Look at Him. Look at Him. Look at Him. And because of that, we can say that we are holy. Because when God looks at you, what does He see first? He sees Himself. I mean, you're in there because I see you. But when He looks at you first, He sees you being covered, being robed, in righteousness. And so this is how we can say, yeah, we're righteous. Not because we're pious and we think we're better than everybody else, but we are righteous because we are the evidence of the faithfulness of God in this new covenant relationship. And so that's how we're presented as holy in His sight. Good deal? Okay. The next, the next thing it says in there is that we are uh, blameless. You guys go to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to go to Hebrews. If anybody wants to come and correct my theological understanding of righteousness, I would welcome it. That's the best. I've been reading a lot of people that are just way too smart. Um, so holy, and they were presented as blameless. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, uh, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have 
confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, here it is, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts, listen to this, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. See, holiness, I think we can, we can understand that when God looks at us and he sees him first, why we could say, okay, I can see how we can be presented as holy. But blameless, um, NIV says, without blemish, I think we would look at our lives and we would describe ourselves as being riddled with blemishes. We are oftentimes a train wreck. And we are, if it, we are so full of uh, blame and we have so many reasons to be blamed, um, I think that's another one that we struggle with to see our identity. This says our hearts have been cleansed, our hearts sprinkled with clean, uh, what am I saying? Our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right? You are in Romans chapter 8. It says, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, the, the blamelessness has been taken care of because we have been cleansed. There's, there's nothing, um, there's no ground to stand on. And here's, here's I think, where that comes into play. Um, I think every one of us battles, like, in, in our mind... Um, the guilt that we walk around with from the, from the times when we mess up, right? I mean, I was sitting in here tonight during prayer before, before church, and I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm reading the truth, you know, that there's no condemnation that, our, that I've been washed clean by the Spirit, that, and that, that there is no ground for the enemy to accuse me of anything because it has been cleaned away. There's, there's nothing there. Jesus has washed it away. That, that when I look in there, there aren't all these, like, blemishes and all this kind of stuff to blame me for. It's been taken care of. It's clean. And then that's an accurate picture of me. And I'm sitting there, and so, of course, what's running through my mind? All my screw-ups, of course, right? I mean, every week, I have to battle this thing of, like, who in the heck are you to get up there and preach? I battle that constantly. And I know I'm not the only one. But the truth is, that when God looks at me, that, that he sees no blame there because what Christ did washed that stuff away. And so the issue is not identity. The issue is uh, an inconsistency with, with, between the truth and between the way that I think. And that is a part of, uh, of how he is like continuing to transform our minds and help us to understand what's going on and all this kind of stuff. So the issue is not that this is wrong, okay? Because this is accurate. So we're holy because um, we're holy because we've been clothed. We are blameless because we've been cleansed. The last one doesn't start with C. I promise you. Um, the third one it says above reproach. You go to Psalm one hundred three. And I, I hope this is helping. Maybe I'm going along. I don't know. I, I sometimes I really feel like. Like we're like gelling well, and some weeks I can't tell. And this is one of those weeks where I can't tell. So, 
you got questions, you know, let me know. Throw something up here. Shoot a flare. Don't shoot a flare. But uh, <laughs> let me know somehow. All right, you're in Psalm. I'm going to go to Jeremiah. Being above reproach, being free from accusation. Kind of like the last one where I think we look at our lives and we're like, look, I got all kinds of stuff to be accused about. This is what God says about his covenant that he's going to start. It's what God said a long time before this actually happened. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. All right, so you're starting to get this. Even back then, he was like, something's going to happen on the inside of you. I put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Here's the thing. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Well, we know that God doesn't forget stuff, right? He can't. He's God. I will remember their sin no more. Here's the thing. Because of what Jesus did, um, the penalty that was on us because of our sin is no longer um, on us. When he says, I will remember your sins no more, it's not saying he will forget. He was saying that those sins will not count against us because they've already counted against Jesus. And so we have been forgiven. You know, we've been clothed in, in righteousness. We've been cleansed from guilty consciences. We have been forgiven of that. That there's, there is no bullseye on us anymore. And that the inconsistencies of our lives, uh, we're, not, we're not basically um, going back and forth between this and the domain of darkness all the time. And we're not undoing this thing and putting us back in. And there's not this back and forth because you have a bad day or because you still struggle with stuff. Or you know, because, because you're like just in one of those slumps and things are just hard. And, and you, don't, you know that you're not living by faith the way you need to. And so God doesn't rip you out of this and put you back in the domain of darkness and be like, all right, remember how this felt? That's, that's not how God works. We are presented as holy and as blameless and as above reproach, without blemish, free from accusation, that when God looks at us, that is how He sees us. I told you to ask you to turn to 103. forgot the verse numbers. Look at verse 8. That's it. Is the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. We've been separated from those things. And it's, 
it's so important that when we, when we think about who we are in Christ, that we embrace the truth. That we refuse to let the fact that we struggle and all that kind of stuff convince us that this has changed somehow. Because who we are is, that's, everything flows out of that. If our identity is found in Christ, then it goes back to the fact that it's the indwelling Christ coming out of us. If everything flows out of our identity, then it's about Christ flowing out of us, right? If our identity, though, is, is established by performance in life, then the wrong things are flowing out of us. If our identity is found in uh, our, like, our jobs, um, then the wrong things are flowing out of us. If our identity is found in if, if you are single or married uh, or, or whatever, then the, the wrong things are, are flowing out of you. If it's uh, found in how much money you make, then the wrong things are flowing out of you. If it uh, flows out of uh, your like, body image, then the wrong things are, are flowing out. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? Like Anything that is not Christ flowing out of you is the wrong thing. And your identity is not something that you ever, ever turn off. You never turn off your identity. If you are a student at LSU, there comes a time when you are not a student, right? Well, at some point, you will graduate, hopefully. And you will not be a student anymore. If you're, uh, if you're trying to, to find your identity um, as, as a parent, at, at some point, not that you'll stop being a parent, but at some point, your kids are going to move out of your house, and they're going to go off, and they're going to have their own lives. And so your whole everything can't be wrapped up in like, being a parent, right? See, those things aren't your identity because all those things, they, they come to an end. If you're based on how much money you make, guess what? Not a good time to be an American. <laughs> and guess what? Those things, that market's going to fluctuate and all this kind of crazy stuff is going to happen. So if that's where you are, that thing's going to come to an end. True identity is never turned off. This, this, is the, this is the reality of your life. Holy, blameless, above reproach. When God looks at you, that's what he sees. According to his word, because of Christ. And that has got to change us. It's got to change the way we think and the way uh, we process life and the way that we talk and the way we interact. It's got to change us. And that's a part of what I think the next couple weeks is going to be, continuing to build on that so we have a base understanding and we're starting to talk about practical things and how all that flows out of it. So here's what, what we're going to do now. I know I probably talked too long, and I just wanted to, I knew there was going to be a lot. should have told you that beforehand. Sorry. Um, here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing a song. It's basically, basically a, a corporate prayer for us tonight. And then we're going to we're gonna crank it up a little bit because this is a reason to get excited. Um, I think there are times when, when church needs to be solemn and focused and whatever, and there are times where we, we need to just celebrate what God has done. And so we're going to do that. And so if you're not cool with that, uh, pool tables are out there. So we'll see you in a little bit. I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but that, but that, that's, what, that's what we're going to do. Um, this is super important. This affects how we worship because worship is a response. And so let's respond to him. Um, let's all stand up together.
And the song we're going to sing, like I said, it's a prayer. And so let's begin by praying together, and then uh, we'll sing it. Father, we love you so much, and um, God, we're thankful for what you've done for us. And uh, thankfulness doesn't really even begin to cover it. And uh, there's, there's so much so much that we don't understand. There seem to be so many inconsistencies with um, what is true about us and the way that we live. But God, we don't want to focus on that stuff tonight. We want to focus on who we are because of you. We know you're going to continue to change those things about us because you are righteous and you are faithful to what you have promised. So God, we, uh, we sing this prayer to you tonight. We know that it's only by your power at work within us that it will come to be and so um, we love you Father we need you 